This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. We're going to pull something out of context. Paul is talking about, um, he's inspired by the Holy Ghost to speak of how sin entered the world and, and um, uh, death passed upon all men. But in chapter seven, uh, chapter 5, verse 17 of Romans, he says, For if by one man, and the one man he's talking about is Adam and his sin in the Garden of Eden. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more. Everybody say much more. Now think about how absolute it was that Adam's sin brought spiritual death into the earth. Think about how absolute. We know this from a, from a historical position, from a, from an experiential position. Adam's sin caused spiritual death to come into the world, and as a result, every person has been born into that system of spiritual death. And the only way to escape it is the work of Jesus. We know that. We know that before we were saved, how absolutely sin reigned over us and ruled and reigned in our lives. How trapped we were. How imprisoned we were by spiritual death. We know these things. Yet the Bible says, as true as that is, how much more true is it that another man's action will free you from that death? For if by one man's offense or sin... Death reigned by one, by that one Adam. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the church's problem. We believe the first part of that verse. Oh, yeah, spiritual death ruled and reigned. And because we have experience with that, we have a problem with the rest of it. But remember, it's God saying they are not even in the same class. They're not even on the same page. These things shouldn't even be compared. Now, I want to talk to you about reigning in life for a bit. We'll see how far we go with this. The Amplified Translation, I believe it is, says, Much more they that receive the the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall rule and reign as a king in this life. Well, that's certainly true. But folks, I would submit something to you. That's not what's, what's, uh, what the Holy Ghost is inspiring Paul to say. You can rule and reign as a king in this life. There's no question about that. But what the, the point of this verse is, is that you rule and reign in life. We think of life as being in a natural sense. In this life. In this natural life. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about ruling and reigning in life. In other words, the life that comes by Jesus is your source. It's the origin. It's the means whereby you reign. Now, it says it's conditional on two things. It says you have to receive two things. Number one, the abundance of grace. And number two, the gift of righteousness. Well, now, folks, I would submit to you that everybody that's saved has received the the abundance of grace in salvation and the gift of righteousness. They may not believe they're righteous. They might not feel righteous, but everybody that's saved has technically fulfilled the terms of that verse. Is every Christian reigning? Certainly not. Well, then there's got to be something more to it than just fulfilling the technical or the technicalities or the technical aspects of being saved. He's got to be talking about something else. Paul's writing to Christians. Why should he write to them and tell them how to reign in life? If they're saved, and that's the key to reigning in life, shouldn't they already be reigning? He's got to be telling us something more than just what we see on the surface. He's got to be saying something more than just get saved. 
What does he mean? Well, first of all, the word receive means to take hold of or to act on. Much more, they which take hold of or act on. Two things. The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. The result is you'll reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, grace has a lot of different definitions, and, and the, probably the most uh, uh, common definition that everybody's familiar with is unmerited favor. I like a better definition for the abundance of grace. Now, you can't find this in, in the Bible, but it's a scriptural principle. Grace is everything that God did for us through Jesus. Therefore, as far as I'm concerned, the grace of God is the finished work of Jesus. Now, like I said, you're not going to find that in a, in a, in a scriptural definition. You can't turn to a chapter and verse and find that definition. But it fits as far as what God intends for us to have. So for my purposes, you know, agree with this or not, you choose for yourself. But for my purposes and the purpose of this discussion, we're going to talk about the grace of God as being the finished work of Jesus. Because everything God ever did for you, he did for you through Jesus. Everything that he showed his favor upon you toward or uh, or concerning, whether you deserve it or not, was through Jesus, right? So let's look at it in that in that sense. It says, much more they which take hold of or act on the finished work of Christ and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Well, that's a different, that's a whole different meaning to me. Because now we're not talking about some nebulous grace, you know, thing that you can't put your finger on. I think one of the problems that we have with the idea of grace, the concept of grace, is that there are so many different definitions that people use. That's why for me it always comes down to the finished work of Jesus. If we take hold of that, then we can rule and reign in life. Now I want you to turn with me over to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Now uh, let uh, let me make a statement about this. There's no punctuation in the original Greek. But we know from the sentence construction and grammatical stuff and all that kind of thing, from verse 3 to verse 13, through verse 13, is one sentence. It's one sentence. It's one thought with all kinds of things tied into it. How does he start off? Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath. Everybody say hath. That means past tense, right? It didn't say who will. It says, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, verse 4 is a, is a, in the Greek is called an aorist participle. We know of them as past participles. Here's what it means in the Greek. It means that whenever you have an aorist participle, the subject of that participle or the, the, the content that's being spoken of in the participle precedes the original verb. The main verb. Now, the main verb is we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He hath blessed us. So that means before he hath blessed us, something else took place. Well, what took place? Verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5 is another aorist participle. You can understand these things build on one another over and over and over again. That's why this is all one big sentence from verse 3 to verse 13, through verse 13. So it's saying before he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, something happened. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And before that, something else happened. Verse 5, having predestinated us according to the, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So what's it saying? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 
Well, in the beginning of what? In the beginning of God? God has no beginning. What does it mean in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth? It's the beginning of the story of God's dealing with man, apparently. Because God had no beginning. Now, I have a hard time imagining God in nothing. Because how can you be God and there be nothing? You know? But in my little peanut brain, I imagine that before God ever created the heavens and the earth, and and by the way, the heavens and the earth that are spoken of there are not the ones that he put Adam and Eve in the middle of. The world, the creation of the world, chosen us before the foundation of the world, means the world that was before Adam and Eve, the world that was destroyed, the world of old that Peter said God didn't spare. The world that Satan was, or Lucifer was in charge of and the angels ruled over. Now there may have been something before that that we don't know. We know that's as far back as God reveals to us. But however far back it goes, how many ages there were, whatever systems there were prior to what we know about, before all that was created, God came up with a plan. So God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost are sitting around the conference table. Now I know if there's a conference table, that means there is something. I get it. I understand. I know there are holes in my my illustration here. But before God ever looked into the world and formed the world and said, let there be light or anything else, before he created the heavens and the earth, God came up with a plan. He predestined certain things. Now, I'm going to have to interrupt myself here for a minute because anytime you use the word predestined, depending on people's religious background and stuff, all of a sudden they start going back to what they've they've heard from church and teachings and, and so forth. The Bible doctrine of predestination is simple if you understand how God operates. First and foremost, the Bible says that nothing trumps man's will. It says God wills for all men to be saved, yet we know that all men are not saved. Well, if God's will is for everybody to be saved, but not everybody is saved, then what is the most dominant force? God's will or man's will? Man's will. That's why Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come unto me. So in order to understand predestination, you have to understand that nothing trumps man's will. God could trump man's will, but he set himself boundaries so that he never will. So it's not a matter of what God can do, it's a matter of what God does. Okay? So, in order to understand predestination, let me give you a quick little illustration that we can all relate to. Let's say the church is going to have a big event. Do we send out the invitations to the big event before or after we plan it? We plan the event first, right? What's the first thing we plan in the event? Well, we want everybody to come. So we know that we're going to make invitations or send out invitations to everybody. But we've got other things to do before we ever get to that point. We've got to plan when the event's going to come because it, or, or going to occur. Because if we want everybody to come, then we've got to make sure it doesn't conflict on the schedule with other things that are going on. We wouldn't plan a big event on Super Bowl Sunday. Right? If we want everybody to come. So we plan the schedule, we plan the activities, we plan for parking, we plan for all the different things that make take place, and, and when it's God that's planning, he doesn't leave anything out, we hope that we don't either, right? Now once we get all the planning done, once the planning takes place, then we send out invitations, right? Now do we know up front that everybody that we send an invitation from is going to attend? No, in fact, we know everybody won't come. Because as good as well as we may have planned things, as, as, as diligent as we were in figuring things out, we're going to run into schedule conflicts with somebody that, that we wouldn't know about, right? 
So we know that not everybody that's going to be invited is going to respond. But we want to try to get the most people in that we can to this big event. And so we plan it accordingly. But it's still up to the individual of whether or not they're going to attend. Okay, well, the planning meeting is predestination. God predestined. And this took place before the world was ever formed, before God ever created the old earth, the old world that the angels were in charge of, that Lucifer was the the anointed cherub that covers. And so God predestinated us. He predestined certain things. He predestined that we would be in Christ. He predestinated us in verse 5 according to the adoption of children. He predestined that man would be his children. Now, why do you have to predestine that? See, some people say that all of mankind are the children of God. Well, God seems to disagree. Just because somebody is born into the earth doesn't mean they're a child of God. Being a child of God is comes only through one way, and that is through accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. In other words, the only way you can be a child of God is through Jesus. So the planning meeting, God's big event, which is salvation, which is redemption... God's big event had a pre-planning meeting. And that planning meeting was between God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. And they foreordained, they foretold, they foreknew that this is how it was going to work. So they planned for everybody. Jesus died for the sins of the world, it says. Not the sins of the saved. It says that he died for the sins of the world. Now, there are four words in predestination that the Bible uses concerning predestination that are important for you to, to, to recognize. I haven't finished my illustration yet. We'll get back to it. The first is predestined, the second is called, the third is chosen, and the fourth is elect. Called are the ones that receive invitations. The ones that are called are the ones that receive invitations. Remember Jesus said in talking about the end, he said, The first shall be last and the last shall be first, for many are called but few are chosen. What does he mean? He means everybody's invited. The whole world is invited to be saved. Now think about this, folks. People in the Old Testament were invited to be saved. How was that? Through the promises of the Messiah to come. You know, it's an interesting thing because in Romans chapter 4, it talks about Abraham's faith and and it tells us some attributes of God. Verse 17, I think it is, says that God gives us two characteristics of God. It says, God calls things that be not as though they are and he quickens the dead. He quickeneth the dead and calls things that be not as though they are. We look at that as an example of our faith or the way our faith is supposed to work, talking about the confession of our faith, and that's absolutely true. But God's not sitting in heaven giving more word. He's not sitting in heaven saying more and more and more things. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is established in heaven. In other words, God has spoken his word. He's not speaking more words. His word is already given. His word is already spoken. So where it says he calleth things that be not as though they are, he's not looking at your situation and you may need healing and says, okay, well, Jim, I'll speak healing for Jim. That's already been done. He's not looking at your situation over here and, and if you need finances and speaking finances into your life. That's not how it works. God's already spoken his word. And he spoke his word through Jesus, through the finished work of Jesus. He spoke healing, he spoke well-being, he spoke prosperity, he spoke redemption, he spoke everything in through what Jesus has done and what Jesus has accomplished. That's why the Bible talks about how we have, past tense, been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Some people will see that spiritual blessings thing and say, yeah, but Pastor Mike, I want earthly blessings. Well, we need those down here, don't we? You're going to need those as long as you're here. 
But the reality is, every earthly blessing starts as a spiritual source. So the fact, if the Bible says God has blessed you with all natural blessings, you'd be worse off than having been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Because spiritual blessings create natural blessings. Natural blessings don't create spiritual things. So where it says you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, and notice all of these things are related to Jesus, when it says that these things have come in Christ, it means you have access to everything that has already been spoken, everything that has already been done, everything that has already been accomplished before the foundation of the world that will provide for you now. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 65, and Isaiah 65 is talking about the millennium when Jesus comes and rules and reigns on the earth. And so I realize that it's not, that we're taking it out of context a little bit. But at the same time, God doesn't change. God's not different during the millennium than he is now. And it says in Isaiah 65, it says, I will answer before they call. Well, that's always been God's plan. When you pray about something that's going on in your life, God doesn't do something to change it. He does something according to what's already been accomplished. He provides for you the word which by, can receive, be received by faith so that you can take hold of, receive the finished work of Jesus to change your situation. God's not doing anything new today. Does this make any sense? So when you pray for finances, you pray for healing, you pray for any natural thing that you need here on the earth, God's not going to do something new. There's nothing that he hasn't already thought of and pre-planned for. That's what it means that we were predestined in him. He planned the event perfectly. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. He said to pray that the will of God would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Now we're talking about healing, so let's ask the question, what's the will of God concerning healing in heaven? Is there any sickness in heaven? Then Jesus is saying that they, the disciples, should pray that the will of God in every area, including healing and sickness, should be done here on the earth just like it is in heaven. That would mean, therefore, for the people of God that they be free from sickness because that's exactly the way it's going to be when we get to heaven. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive just minutes off the 5 freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Now, chosen is an interesting word. Remember the four words, predestined, called, chosen, and elect. Chosen is an interesting word because sometimes chosen is used in the Scripture to mean invited. Other times chosen is used in the Scripture to mean those that have responded. Elect always means those that have responded. But chosen is kind of a uh, transition word. And so here where it says in verse 4, according as he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, he has chosen us in him. Past tense, he has chosen us in him. He has chosen us in him. He has chosen us in him. You've got to look at the context to see whether that means he invited you or whether you responded. Well, since it was before the foundation of the world, you couldn't have responded. So here, this word chosen means invited. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I wasn't around. I didn't get my invitation. Yeah, you did. Because you were in Christ even then. So the invitation went to all those who would be born into the earth who had the opportunity to be in Christ. It means God invited everybody. That's why at the end, nobody can stand there and say, well, I never knew. Yeah, 
Sure you knew. Everybody gets their invitation. Whether you respond or not is up to you. That's how predestination works. God pre-planned redemption for everybody. He invited everybody. Not everybody responds, but certain ones do. Which, what are those people called that come to the big event? The chosen and the elect. Do you understand how predestination works? God provided for everybody. That's the only way God could be without blame so that everybody has the option. Everybody has the choice. Everybody has the opportunity to be in Christ, to miss hell and make heaven. What you do with that opportunity is up to you. Everybody stands on their own and answers for whether or not they made Jesus the Lord of their lives or they choose to pay for their own way. He doesn't twist your arm and make you come to the event. All right, back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. Now with that understanding, let's look a little bit further. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. This was the pre-planning meeting. This is where the invitations were made. They were planned and they were made. Not just when you heard, but from the original planning of the event. The predestination event or the predestination meeting. What did God plan or what did he invite us to? He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world for two things. Number one, that you should be holy. Number two, that you should be without blame. Now, folks, I would submit to you that those are the two problems with the church world today. They don't believe they're holy and they don't believe they're without blame. I would submit to you that those are the two things that keep believers from reigning in life. They don't believe they're holy. Even though the Bible says we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, they think that's some, well, yeah, he's going to do that, or yeah, that technically that's supposed to be the way it is, but I really know me. Can I get a witness? The second thing is we blame ourselves. And so it doesn't make sense to us how God could hold us without blame because we know where we messed up. Yet those are the two things that the Bible says God identified, God dealt with before the world was ever made. Before Lucifer ever became the angel that covered. Before Lucifer was ever created. Before the angels were ever created. Before anything ever took place, this was already dealt with. You were identified in Christ to be holy and without blame. Then why do you think you're unholy? Why do you blame yourself? God doesn't. And he never has. There was a time where you were responsible for your own sins, but as soon as you made Jesus the Lord of your life, that was done away with. You've never, in that sense, been unholy to God from the time you made Jesus the Lord of your life. Verse 5. Having, again, this was... Before the foundation of the world, having predestinated us under the adoption of children. In other words, we become holy and without blame when we come, become a child of God in Christ or by Jesus Christ. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. What does that result in? Verse 6, to the praise of his glory, the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. You are accepted. Quit trying to think that you're a stepchild of God. He's accepted you. Why? Because this was part of the pre-planning meeting. Doesn't have anything to do with you. This was before you ever came on the scene and God knew exactly who you were going to be before you ever showed up. 
See, there's all kinds of things the devil will try to twist things up. Well, God planned for all of mankind to be in Christ, but he never thought I'd do the things I've done. Are you serious? He knew exactly what you would do. He planned for everything. It doesn't mean he caused you to do the things that you did, but he knew who you were going to be, and he still made place for you. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, the finished work of Jesus. Wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Why? Because you're holy and without blame before him. Having made known to unto us the mystery of his will. He's not trying to keep anything hidden from you. He's made known to you the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure of which he has purposed in himself. He's the one that devised the plan. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he may gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and those which are on earth, even in him. There's not two churches, folks. There's not an early church and a later church, present-day church. There's one church. Some of it's in heaven, some of it's in earth. The dispensation of times is talking about the millennium. It's talking about when God will join everything together. That was his original plan. Verse 11, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, having predestinated... Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He's, telling, he's going back to the beginning again. Here's another one of those aorist participles. It goes back to the beginning. Before the earth was ever founded, before the earth was ever created, God planned, he pre-planned this thing called redemption. And in that redemption, you would be holy and without blame. You were predestined to be chosen as a child of God in Christ. You were predestined to have an inheritance. Not just when you get to heaven. An inheritance comes when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. In whom also we have an inher- obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Not that we should have to hide because of our mistakes. I don't know if you know this or not, but as worthless and as unholy and as unworthy as you may think or feel like you are, you are what God, you are what brings God praise. God's happy with you. You may still be a work in progress. We all are. But God's happy with you. He doesn't hide his eyes from you and, and, and try to make sure that the devil doesn't know you're really in his family. He's happy with you. You're exactly who he planned for. You know what I'm trying to tell you? You've been predestined to win. Because if you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, and if you've got an inheritance in Him, in Christ, because you make Jesus the Lord of your life, what did Jesus ever lose in? Show me any problem Jesus didn't conquer. Show me any situation whatsoever that Jesus didn't have the answer for. Any. See, folks, this is the very reason why the Bible talks about some of the most impossible-sounding things as promises and guarantees. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. How is that possible? Because you're just as righteous as Jesus is. There's a lot of talk in the body of Christ about predestination. But the Bible says that you've been predestined to be in the family of God and to walk in victory all the days of your life. That's what God has predestined you for. Victory in the name of Jesus. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
You're looking at the problems in your body or the problems in your finances. What do you see? So many people are waiting for God to do something on their behalf. And they've got the life of God in them all the time. How much more abundant does the life of God that caused you to be born again have to be for your situation to change? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.